0: Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science is now teaching us that everything is energy, and that energy is interconnected and interdependent. In essence, it is one thing. Uh, And ancient wisdom and spirituality has been teaching the truth of oneness for eons. So it's like science is just now catching up, but it's not really new science. The science is close to 100 years old. Um, And so what I want to share with everyone is when humanity awakens to the universal truth of oneness, you realize that what you do to another person, you're actually doing to another aspect of yourself. And when mankind awakens to that truth, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is real magic with Dean Radden. Dean is, this is the second time Dean has been a guest on my show. Thank you, Dean. It's, it's probably been about four years ago when you were a guest the last time. Right. So much, much has changed, but all is going well. Thank you. Dean is a scientist. And I just, I just was telling Dean before we started to record, um, it was What the bleep, the documentary, What the bleep that I saw in 2007, that truly was my awakening. And Dean was, um, featured in that documentary. So I said, he's like a, he's like an idol of mine. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you, Dean. Please share with our listeners. Like I said, you are a scientist. So you, all this stuff. You know, scientifically, you have the handle on that. The science, I call it the science of oneness. So please share with our listeners basically kind of how you got started in that, that field and and where, you know, then I would want us to get into your latest book, which is Real Magic.
1: So what I've been studying now for about 40 years is... Uh, are aspects of human experience which are not well accounted for by the scientific worldview. Okay. And so the experiences that we're talking about range from intuition, uh, which is a feeling of just knowing something, but without knowing how you know it, Mm -hmm. all the way up to uh, psychic experience and mystical experience. So the commonality among this whole range of experiences, first of all, they're extremely common. We've we've done surveys and there are other surveys around the world, which shows that the majority of people uh, in every culture, actually also throughout history and at every educational level, report experiences which sound psychic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Things like telepathy and clairvoyance and that sort of thing. So one would think that if there's, uh, experiences that people report around the world and generally are considered to be unusual, but paradoxically, they're also common, yes. a, a common, unusual experience. Yes. The commonality of all of those experiences is that there, it seems to be that the mind can transcend space and time. Mm-hmm. Like telepathy transcends space to a partner somewhere else. Clairvoyance transcends space. Precognition transcends time. And another class of phenomena where your intention also seems to transcend the body. So this is a psychokinetic effects where your intention somehow makes things in the world work or, or change. Yes. So while you, you opened with the idea that uh, science is showing that everything is energy, energy and matter, uh, that actually is the part of the scientific worldview. It's called okay. materialism. And one of the problems with materialism is that it assumes that everything, literally everything, can be described as a combination of energy and matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unfortunately, energy and matter don't explain why we have subjective awareness. No. Right. So the one of the key problems, uh, key outstanding problems in science today, is what gives rise to the sense of consciousness. We we are aware of things. We're self-aware. Where where does that come from? Because if you take a purely materialistic perspective, it suggests that your brain, three pounds of tissue Uh that is electrochemically active inside your skull is somehow giving rise to our internal experience. Okay. Well, as a a hypothesis, it's not a bad one. That's kind of what we're led to believe from neuroscience today. Mm -hmm. The problem is that if telepathy is true, or if precognition or clairvoyance are true, then that's not something that the physical brain can do. Right. You say, well, maybe the, we know the brain has electrical activity, so maybe there are electromagnetic waves that are connecting us like a radio mm-hmm. from a distance. Maybe that would be the case for telepathy, even though we have no idea how the how those brain can decode such signals. But just assume that that was true, it doesn't account at all for clairvoyance or, or for precognition. Okay. So we have a problem. Yes. The problem is the scientific worldview, which is based on the idea everything's made out of matter and energy, is not able to explain the one and only thing that we are actually aware of, which is our own awareness. Mm-hmm. Consciousness. Consciousness, yeah. So I'm interested, then, in uh, phenomena or in experiences like psychic psychic phenomena because they provide a significant challenge to today's scientific worldview. Now, in one sense, that's not surprising. Science has evolved. It has changed dramatically over the past hundred years. Our ideas about the, the nature of reality has significantly changed, and it will continue to change. A lot of working scientists kind of forget that. They assume that what we know today is as best as we're ever going to get. There's mm-hmm. still a couple of things that we don't understand, but basically we understand how the world works. I know physicists who strongly believe that. They believe that we're very, very close to actually understanding everything.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: From my perspective, I think that's a very silly position to take because all you need to do is study a little bit about history and you realize immediately that has never been true and it is not likely to be true today either. So the psychic phenomena uh, first of the first stage that you you then look at from a scientist is whether or not you can believe it. People report stories but you never know if the story is true or not. So we go into the laboratory, we study telepathy and precognition and clairvoyance and we're trying to find out, uh, can we believe that, at least in principle, that those kinds of phenomena are real things? Mm-hmm. And the short answer is yes. So we have about 150 years of experiments now by people around the world, and we can make a pretty strong and confident statement that, yeah, these are real effects.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That means there's a problem in our worldview today. The direction, I think, that the a, a more improved view would go is actually in the direction of oneness
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the sense that these uh, the what we might think of as mental phenomena things like psychic phenomena mystical experiences and so on all of them suggest that are at least that our minds or our consciousness are emerging out of one source
2: mm-hmm.
1: so we are not only connected in an ecological sense like the interdependence of, of living systems on earth. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also something like an ecology of mind that we are interconnected even within our consciousness.
0: Yes. I I think of like, I only say to my listeners, I'm not a scientist. I love science though. But I, I think of our brains as just being a receiver for information from that one source. That's how I think of it.
1: Right. And that is how a uh, number of philosophers have thought about it as well. Henri Bergson is probably best known for his idea of the brain as a receiver of information. Yes. Uh, this also fits in with a, a growing trend in philosophy where ph- many philosophers have always been interested in this so-called mind-body problem.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: We have an internal self, but we also have an external self. Right. Well, what's the relation between the two? So. Within philosophy, uh, many philosophers like the idea of materialism, and we can't deny the science has been very successful using that that assumption. Uh, so that's probably not going to go away. We're not going to get rid of materialism. Okay. On the other hand, the other the as I said before, the only thing that we actually know is our own consciousness. Everything else is an inference. And if we the only thing that we know is our own consciousness, that from a philosophical perspective is idealism the idea that basically everything arises out of awareness. So at the leading edge of science today, you're finding more and more scientists who are beginning to think that there really is something very peculiar about consciousness that is, cannot yet be accounted for by energy or matter. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like something else. It's a different thing. Maybe even energy and matter arise out of consciousness. Mm -hmm. It really is fundamental.
0: Okay.
1: If that were true, then suddenly the, the strangeness of psychic and mystical experience are not strange at all. It's basically a reflection of the way things actually are. Mm-hmm. All of the overlays, the, the ideas of the physical world as being completely separate from us and uh, in, independent in terms of our influence of it and all that, that would be seen as completely wrong. In fact, it becomes completely dependent on what's happening inside our heads. Yes. Actually, not not that as much as what's happening in our consciousness, which may or may not be inside your head. Sometimes it's somewhere else.
0: Yeah. I actually think it's the heart. I mean, I, I, you're familiar with heart math. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually think it's your heart is more, more of the connection to consciousness than your head. I, I think of heart more than head.
1: well yes that is some people think that i i think it's probably more complex than a particular portion of Of the the body body.
2: yeah
1: uh it it's related if consciousness is fundamental then in some respects the body is emerging from consciousness yes so it includes everything in your body yes
0: yes 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 so um so like, like I said, I'm not a scientist, but I do listen to a lot of scientists like you, and I, I listen to a lot of um, metaphysics and spirituality, and, and I do see the correlation, and, and f- I know that men, so far, I believe what you, I, I agree with you, what you're saying, that mankind is just at the tipping point where there's so much more to learn, you know, yes, right. but like you said, it is a 100 years old you know it's not new 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 science like what what the science that was brought out in the film what the bleep which was um produced back in 2004 um a lot of that science hasn't hit the mainstream why in your opinion as a scientist why do you think that the the new science that is being discovered now is not mainstream
1: well, some of it is mainstream. Now, I mean, the, a lot of the uh, the basis of the movie What the Bleep was talking about quantum mechanics and the impl- implications of that that type of physics. And if you pay attention to the science news today, it's, it's something quantum every single day. Okay. And and what is being discovered in it is more or less a confirmation of what is was is already suspected for quite a long time, namely that. Uh, the uh, reality is not uh, what we see by common sense. Uh, that things can happen somehow outside of space and time. That there are deep interconnections, even at a physical level. All those sorts of things. And you see, you see papers on this all the time.
0: Now, you now you're talking about the science community. I'm talking when I say mainstream. I'm talking about the Mr. Jones and Mrs. Jones oh. sitting in your living room watching news 24 hours yeah yeah okay that's the mainstream i'm talking about so not the science community but the 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 world at large
1: right well one of the reasons it, it is difficult to penetrate the world at large is because the implications of of quantum mechanics not just quantum mechanics but also cosmology and other areas in science the implications of it are are on one hand not completely understood so we can't create a narrative that we know is correct because we're still learning about it. Okay. But the other reason is that the picture that seems to be developing from the leading edge, especially in physics, is so far beyond common sense that you could describe to somebody what it means, but they'd say, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, my body and your body are completely separate, and I still have to watch the clock because the clock is ticking in a certain way, all of that is true, except that our, the way we live our ordinary lives, from a science perspective, we can think of as a special case. It's a special case of the size that we are, the way that we perceive time, the, the uh, magnitude of the number of cells in our body. All of these things kind of conspire to give us a limited view of the nature of reality. Yes. So for most people, reality is literally what your senses show you but we know that it's much more than that because yes. for other reasons we've developed microscopes and telescopes yes. which tell us we're actually a little tiny piece of a much much larger environment exactly so it's difficult to uh to convey to somebody that actually if you take any solid object so I'm holding up a pen the pen actually is consisting mostly of nothing yes You look at it from an atomic level, it's atoms with huge amounts of space between them. And between those atoms, there's nothing. Exactly. So this is mostly nothing. The same is true of your body. It's mostly nothing.
0: Very true. It
1: doesn't feel like nothing. Right. So it's this disconnect between common sense and beyond common sense. And much of science today is way beyond common sense.
0: Yes. Well, the thing I say, and I said this in a, I just started doing vlogs um, recently. And one of the things I say is that, like you just said, human senses are extremely limited. And if we could just get that concept across to the men and women on the street, that you can't just go by your senses, what you can see, taste, hear, uh, you know, because they're so limited. And that, like you said, science has proven how limited human senses are. So if we say, as a, as a humanity, oh, I'm only going to believe in what I sense, then we're, we're discounting 99.9999% of the true nature of reality. Mm-hmm. So if we could just get that point across mainstream, I mean, like the average person on the street to understand that, okay, I can't just go by my limited human senses. There's much more out here than I can sense.
1: Right. So we can intellectually understand that. Yes. It's still very difficult to grasp it at a very deep level that, of, of what's happening. So one of the, way, one of the reasons why uh, like practices like meditation yes. can transform somebody is because then they get a direct experience of what it is like to have a mystical state or to have their senses expand. Yeah. The same is true for certain psychedelics. You take a psychedelic and suddenly you're perceiving things in a completely different way, but it's first person. It's yeah. not listening to a story about it. Yeah. So most of the research on social change and transformation suggests that unless you have a personal reason, a direct personal reason to, to accept something that is not obvious, okay. you won't accept it. I mean, you can you can accept it intellectually, but you don't really get it at a deep level. This is so
0: true. This is so true. And many people, many awakenings come from those those experiences. Sometimes it's a even like a tragic tragic ex- experience of losing a loved one, um, things of that nature that really open people up. And like you said in the beginning, these like um, what we call psychic ex- experiences are now almost becoming normal. Yeah.
1: yeah. We did a survey uh, among adults in the United States from the general population and then a subset who are scientists or engineers. Now we had a list of 25 different kinds of psychic experiences. Without using the word psychic, we just gave descriptions of experiences and asked people, which of these have you ever personally experienced? Mm-hmm. So. We were not too surprised to find that among the general population, 94% said that they had experienced at least one of the 25. Wow. And if we, we only, we sift out the ones so that they're only ones that are explicitly psychic. Okay. Then we find there's something like 87%. So vast majority of, of the general public have had these kind of experiences. Yes. So now we turn to the subset of scientists and engineers, because it's usually assumed that Maybe they have different education, different assumptions, whatever. So for them, 93% said they had experienced at least one of the 25. Wow. And on average, something like seven or eight of the 25. Wow. So so it's it's kind of a myth, a myth that scientists don't have these experiences because they do. Yes. They're almost exactly the same as the general public does. Yes. What a scientist may do is interpret it differently. Yes. So a scientist might say, uh, well, maybe, yeah, it happened, but it was coincidence. Or it, it, sometimes strange things happen for no apparent reason. Yes. Or other reasons like that. But, but the raw experience itself is very, very common.
0: Yes. Yes. So as you said, um, more and more, a large percentage of mainstream population are having these experiences because I I agree with you a hundred percent for someone to really grasp it and really be open to it they need to experience it right
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. now having said that people often assume that the reason why I'm, I'm interested in studying these things is because of my own experience yeah. right but that is not the case oh. because the other reason you can be drawn into a topic is curiosity Okay. And that 's what drew me into this domain i don 't have lots of stories as a kid with psychic things happening. Okay. Some of my colleagues do yes. and my colleagues have have had spiritual awakenings when they were kids
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay. i haven't but i'm I'm drawn to the the idea first of all that uh, w- when you have these experiences that are common, they should be studied yes. and yet they're not
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that's already something something very strange is happening where you have a very common, usually meaningful experience that is completely ignored in the academic world. Well, that is just strange. So mm-hmm. that attracts my curiosity yes. and the nature of the experiences themselves are curious to me. Now, since I've been studying this for a long time now, the, I would say that the number of, of psychic experiences in particular that I've, I've had have increased, but I think it's only because I'm more open to it. Yes. Like it's always there. You just just have to be open to it to perceive what is actually happening.
0: Yes, very true. So now you said you've been studying this now, what, 30, 40 years, yes?
1: About 40 years, yeah.
0: Okay, so um, do you see a difference from when you first got interested in it 40 years ago to now how the academic community, are they more open to studying?
1: Uh, No. Really? Yeah.
0: I, thought, I thought you would say there's a difference.
1: Well, there is a difference. And the, the difference is that uh, 40 years ago, uh, it would have been very difficult to find anybody in the academic world who was studying consciousness, okay. other than in philosophy. Now, it's actually fairly common. You find lots of people studying consciousness, either through the study of meditation, which is very popular now. Yes. Uh, neuroscientists are interested in the nature of consciousness, a uh, very small percentage of physicists are interested in it. So there, it is a topic now that you can study in a, safely. Okay. Of course, in the academic world, like any world, you, you have to do things which are are, are within the status quo.
2: Right. Because
1: if you're too far away from that, then you're pushed out. So it is okay now to study consciousness where it was not 40 okay. years ago. Okay. So, so that is a big change. That is also a change which is in a direction that eventually it will be become uh, more acceptable to study psychic phenomena. But one of the problems in the academic world is that uh, you have m- uh, many, many generations, mostly of psychology professors who have been taught that there's nothing to it. That these phenomena simply don't exist. And of the experiments that have been done, they're not any good. And so you'll have an introduction to psychology textbook, which mm-hmm. will devote one page to psychic phenomena and dismiss it. Homework. Well, this means that you have ge- many generations of future professors who will also dismiss it. Because once you get into your head that there's nothing to it, that creates a kind of a filter that yes. unless you have a powerful experience yourself, exactly. you have no reason to question. Yes. So and you look at there's roughly 15,000 institutions of higher learning around the world,
2: mm-hmm.
1: 40 of them have at least one faculty member who is known for having an interest in this topic. Wow. So as they sometimes say, it is easier to get a doctoral dissertation on Buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> than it is to do one on a parapsychological topic.
0: Wow. Hmm. I was hoping that those numbers were, you know, I know, you know, more like changing, you know, quicker.
1: Well, it's, there are two other factors. One is the cultural factor. So in the United States in particular, uh, because we're, we're a very religious country, uh, some religions are completely dead set against the idea of studying these phenomena because they're considered to be demonic. Mm. Other religious people love this topic because they see it as supporting their religious beliefs. Yes. In both cases, that does not help. Yes, Because from a scientific perspective, a lot of scientists are are completely stiff armed against anything having to do with religion. They just don't want to have anything to do with it. So whether it's getting uh, religious support, positive or negative, they're saying that's fine. Just keep it away from me. Okay. The other thing is that there are plenty of psychics who are frauds and the newspapers are always very happy to show how gullible people are by listening to a fraudulent psychic. Yes. So that's not good either. Yes. Uh, and if, but if you look at other countries, almost every other country in the world, uh, you find that the, uh, you don't have the same kind of stigma about the, this topic as you do in the United States. It's quite strong here. Yeah. If you go to England, for example, the number of academics that are interested in psychic phenomena is much higher and more public okay. than it is here. It's still controversial, but they're there. There's a uh-huh. dozen universities you can go to and learn something about parapsychology. Okay. In, in the United States, uh, there I know of one one public university, the University of West Georgia, okay, which is in Carrollton, Georgia. Okay. They have a uh, an interest in transpersonal psychology in the psychology department, and one faculty member whose expertise is in this topic. Okay. Wow. That's in the entire United States. Well, I,
0: I feel personally what you're saying, because when I launched, I was telling you, I've launched my show four years ago today, I mean, this month, um, a very, very close friend of mine stopped speaking to me because of his religious belief, and I was going to have a channel on my show. Now, I've had many channels and psychics on my show, and I can, I can I truly vouch for these people. They're not frauds, you mm-hmm. know, they're Genuine. Um, but one of my guests was going to be a channel, and when I mentioned that to him, he said, I'm done with you. So
1: yeah. I, I yeah.
0: personally experienced what you're talking about.
1: Look at the, uh, the Catholic catechism, and it very explicitly says, you shall have nothing to do with any of this stuff. Yeah. So for people who are profoundly religious, then you have a problem. Yeah. Uh, I've when I I look at the places that I'm invited to give talks in the United States and elsewhere, Mm -hmm. and for each one of the venues, is it in the public domain or not? Is it public or private? And also, is it high level or not? Meaning, is it to the general public or is it to business leaders or government leaders and so on? In the United States, those kinds of high level talks are always private. Mm -hmm. They're around, but they're private. I mean, not open to the public. Okay. For other countries, it is generally open to the public, but it is also at a high level. So it includes government, academic, and business leaders, typically. Okay. Uh, and is taken much more seriously by the press of the country. Like the national press okay. will oftentimes attend and the, the talks and uh, do interviews. You don't find that in the U.S. at all.
2: Okay. So, so there's the
1: cultural change. The other thing is that there's a um, about every 20 years the, the climate of, our, of the U.S. and probably other countries too, it changes. We see this in their political ups and downs, more liberal, more conservative. This, it is also true in this domain. So in the 1960s, psychedelics were a big thing. Yes. It opened up a lot of people that were much more uh, open in the academic world at that time, even in the U.S., to these kinds of studies. So there are lots of people doing it. Okay. Well, that, that got shut down from the, about the 1980s to the 2000s. Okay. So you had a period of, uh, actually, you can go back even further, 1920s, a lot of interest. And then it crashed during the Second World War. And then it came back up and it's crashing again. Well, where are we in that cycle today? I think it's creeping upwards again.
0: Okay. All right. I'm hoping it's creeping upwards fast. <laughs> I <Me> took, too. <laughs> I I'm feeling that we are really in a shift of eras. I really think that humanity is opening up like they're they're more open to yoga and to meditation and to mindfulness. You see yep. the word mindfulness on New York Times you know yeah. so i i'm really hoping that we are awakening as a species you know uh,
1: i i hope that too <laughs> yes
0: yes now um like you were saying in the mainstream media i know that in the us <coughs> where we're located it's, these topics are not <clears throat> um, but i do feel that there, there, there might be gaining in the, in the press. I, I could be wrong.
1: Every time you see a positive, occasionally you'll see a positive uh, comment. Um, it always attracts immediately negative comments. Okay. Right, so there and I, a lot of this I think has to do with what what we are told, right? If we're told something again and again and again some people will simply begin to accept that.
2: Society, yes. Yeah,
1: and so I see this especially since I, I hang out with scientists mostly that uh, we can describe a study and then scientists who think that there must be a mistake, there has to be a mistake because these things don't exist, right? I, all our professors told us this, and if we see books written about this, none of it exists, So if you have glasses on that basically are saying none of that exists, and you're and you're smart, you'll figure out a way of convincing yourself. Well, they made it's a statistical mistake, or or this design was wrong, or this or that or something. So when people who tend to be be, uh, close-minded, narrow-minded, but there's a there's a special combination here where if you're a highly trained intelligent person. Yes. You can bring a lot more to bear to justify your, your position. Right. And this is a sword that cuts both ways. It it's cuts in the sense that if you believe that something is going on, yeah, you can find evidence for that. Yes. If you don't believe it, you can find evidence for that too. That's true. So the thing you learn after a while, especially, in this is true for politics, certainly, but in science as well, is that people believe what they want to believe.
0: It's very true. Very true. Yeah,
1: you'd think that wouldn't be the case in science because it's supposed to be empirical and rigorous. When it, No, people believe what they want to believe.
0: Very true, very true. I agree, I, I understand. Now, um, like I said at the beginning, the title of, I titled this show Real Magic because you published the book last year entitled, well, first part, Real Magic. You say, give, uh, tell us the entitled, the title, the subtitle. The, book.
1: the subtitle is uh, Ancient Wisdom, Modern Science, and a Guide to the Secret Power of the Universe. Okay, that was long. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't write it down. I yeah. did. But what caught me when I first saw your book, Real Magic, I'm like, wow, that is so let's talk a little bit about that book.
1: Okay, so first of all, what do I mean by real magic? What I don't mean is Harry Potter and Harry Houdini. Okay. So one is fiction. The other one is fake magic.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: they're both very, very popular. Always have been. Uh, but the, the claim then that I have in the book is that they're based on something which is real. They're mm-hmm. not fiction and not, not fake, but the real thing. Well, what is the real thing? If you, It is based on the idea that uh, our understanding of reality today is driven mostly by science. Yes. This is true even for religious people. Yeah. Even for somebody who believes that the Earth is 6,000 years old, they, they have, they've taken facts and forgot a few facts and took another few facts. But they basically believe in, in right. science as a way of giving a picture of reality with some tweaks to that. So that's a relatively new way of understanding reality. It's a, science is roughly four to 500 years old. Okay. But for tens of thousands of years before that, there was a different worldview. We, we can sort of collapse all of it into the, the single word of the esoteric worldview. Okay. The esoteric worldview, from a philosophical perspective, is all about consciousness. Basically, the the three words that describe esoterica is consciousness is fundamental.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: It's complete opposite of a scientific worldview where matter and energy are fundamental. Yes. Right? So matter and energy doesn't say anything about consciousness even though consciousness is the only thing that we actually know. Right. So I'm trying to study something like, or understand something like psychic phenomena. Within the scientific worldview, it's really, really tough. Like it's, it's been difficult for, for the beginning of science looking at these topics 150 years. And so we know quite a bit empirically, but we don't have a good theoretical explanation for these things. And that's one of the reasons why science doesn't accept it. Okay. So, if you, you know, you can show something, but if you can't explain it, then we're, we're just not going to pay any attention. That's not supposed to be the way science works, but that is the way that actually works. Okay. People want explanations for things.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So I'm convinced from the data that the phenomena are real. Yes. I want to develop explanations, too. So since it's so difficult to kind of shoehorn these phenomena into scientific worldview, I started looking at other worldviews. And you immediately run up against the esoteric worldview.
2: Okay.
1: So the esoteric worldview includes uh, things like shamanism, if you go far enough back. And then uh, uh, Pythagoras and Plato and Neoplatonism and Hermeticism and the Kabbalah and on and on and on. Huge long line, which goes up to the present day. Yes. Today, we think of it more like affirmations and new thought religions and that sort of thing. But that's what it is. Mm -hmm. If that, uh, if you look at an analogy here between our technologies today are an application of the scientific worldview. So we know that the scientific worldview is really good because we have technologies that that work, they're reliable.
2: Yes.
1: If you take it from the esoteric perspective, magic is the application of the esoteric worldview. Okay. Just like technologies is an application of the scientific worldview. Okay. So you have a, you have a picture of reality. The, that picture then says the world works in a certain way. You develop technologies that are based on that. And sure enough, some of it works. Yes. Well, The same is true for the esoteric worldview, where consciousness is fundamental. You develop methods which work based on that idea. Well, there are three methods that were developed over tens of thousands of years.
2: Okay.
1: One is divination. What's that? Divination is perceiving through space and time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, it's uh, tarot cards. It's the tossing of the runes. It's um, gazing in a, in a mirror, gazing in a crystal ball, all of those methods, lots and lots of methods. So divination is a magical practice.
2: Okay.
1: You can trace it back through history f- at least 10,000 years. So that's a technology. It's a method. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. that is based on this esoteric worldview and it's divination. The second magical method is called uh, manifestation, which is the idea that your intention can cause things to happen. It has lots of other names, but that's a big part of magical practice. And the third is called theurgy. So theurgy is a magical practice where you assume that there are spirits of some type, invisible non-human entities, which you you can communicate with and uh, have them do things on your behalf. Mm -hmm. So those are three magical practices which you can trace in every culture, every history going way back.
0: Right.
1: So the reason why I thought this is interesting is because divination is basically exactly the same as clairvoyance and precognition. Because clairvoyance and precognition are all about perceiving through space and time.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And so we've been studying that not just me, but our colleagues around the world have been studying this for over 100 years, and we know that those phenomena are real.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you immediately can then say, that, well, at least one magical practice of divination is actually a real thing. Right. So there's a little bit of real magic. The second is that when you, you look at the notion that your intention can change the world, which we can call sometimes force of will, sometimes manifestation, we've been doing those experiments since the 1930s, Yes. We see that there's something going on there too. Yes. The, the second category of magic is also real. Yes. The third category having to do with uh, the idea of spirits has been studied from a scientific perspective in terms of studying mediums
2: mm-hmm.
1: and channelers.
2: Yes.
1: And studying things like near-death experience and after-death experiences and all, all of these kinds of uh, survival-oriented effects.
2: Yes.
1: So there we don't have... Uh, we actually, for the study of mediums, we know that some mediums can get verifiably accurate information mm-hmm. under double and even triple blind conditions. So mm-hmm. we know that, in principle, that what a medium does is correct. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. We don't know about any of the survival-oriented phenomena. Is we don't have a control condition in a sense, right? We don't have a person who is actually dead right. who can come back from a near-death experience. Yeah. and tell us what was going on. Because uh, by definition, if, there were, if they came back, then they weren't completely dead. Dead, right, right. The yeah. same goes even for mediumship. We, can, we know that a medium can get real information about somebody, but we don't know how they get it. Right. right? Maybe it's telepathy. Maybe it's precognition. Who knows what it is? Right. The, the medium's experience is that they're getting it from a dead person because they're talking to them. Right. But even they don't really know where the information comes from. Right. So what we do know is that in principle, some of the phenomena that we would fit into the category of theurgy is probably correct. Mm-hmm. So we have the three categories of traditional esoteric magic, is what we have been studying in the laboratory as from a scientific perspective for many years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we can say then that is there real magic? The answer is yes. There is real magic. Yes. And we can then take the esoteric worldview as for as clues to try to understand how these things can be real. Mm-hmm. So that's that's basically what the book is about.
0: Okay, very. And I've had many channels and um, mediums and psychics, like mostly channels and mediums, on as guests. That I, I just they're they're just so so authentic. And mm-hmm. it's a shame that there are so many frauds. you yeah. know, the frauds
1: everywhere, right? I mean, sometimes people say, "Well, this field is saturated with frauds," and I would say, "Really? What about in banking? What about in business? What about in you know, just name anything?"
0: Law. <laughs> yeah.
1: If there's if there's money to be made, somebody's going to do it in a fraudulent way.
0: Yes. Yes. This is true. This is very true.
1: Yeah, but of course, and then some people will say, "Then, well, they're all frauds." Well, mm-hmm. no, that's not true either, right? <laughs>
0: that's true. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, when we were talking about when I think about religion, because I did hear something. I'm always on YouTube, and I heard something recently in in regard to all of the major religions. If you go back in history to like the Christian mystics and um, the Kabbalah, and the 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 core of those, the the beginnings of those religions actually were more esoteric and also spoke about the oneness, Mm -hmm. you know? So I know people he quote unquote today in 2019 that call themselves religious written quote unquote, so dogmatic, so um, fundamental in their religion. They're just basically going by what someone said on the pulpit, you know, said, okay, this is how you interpret the Bible, you know, but if they themselves did the research and really researched the origin of their religion, they would, I believe, find something very different than what they're actually holding so steadfast to.
1: Right. Yeah. Religions begin from a mystical experience. Yes. Somebody has the mystical experience, it profoundly changes them, they're completely convinced that it's correct, Sometimes we don't know what correct actually means in this case, but they're, they're changed by the experience. If they're charismatic enough and can convey that story of their experience to somebody else, they'll find people who will resonate with it. Yes. So that's the origins of religions. And eventually they become big enough so that they start gaining a certain amount of power, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: social and political power and financial power. Yes. And so the major religions that we see today are the outgrowth of thousands of years of some individuals somewhere having a mystical experience. Right. And, uh, it has led to what we see today.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: As, as any large organization, especially ones that, that are, um, that have so much control and power, power corrupts. Yes. And so it is almost impossible for a large religious organization today to not be corrupt at, corrupt at some level. Yeah. The most, the most obvious Example of that today is the Catholic Church,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So they've amassed unknown trillions worth of dollars over the years and are now paying billions of that because of child abuse. Mm-hmm. And who knows what else is going on? Yes, so this is true. It's, so that, I mean, these are all human constructs. Yes. We, we, we're, we're seduced by power, we're seduced by money and all the rest of it. it it's going to be exactly the same in any kind of human-oriented organization, even though the idea of it actually is trying to reflect somebody's mystical experience of oneness.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So that's the, that's kind of the thing I'd love to get that message to religious people. I mean, just take it, just take a deep dive into your religion don't listen to another person, but actually do the research. And when you research it, it does come down to oneness. I mean, Jesus's teachings was about unconditional love and mm-hmm. oneness. You know, it was, it's, it was very simple, his, his teachings, but they've gotten so distorted. And then, like you said, then it gets, the organization gets so big, it gets corrupt.
1: Right. So even the idea that... Uh, I think one of the reasons why there religions are clashing against each other all the time, even even the same religion, but just slightly different sects within a right. religion.
0: The po- uh, Protestants. <laughs> How many said se- You know, different sects of Protestants.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or in uh, Islam, the the Shiites and the right. uh, I forget who the Sunnis. Sunnis okay. and Shiites are basically the same, Thank except. You. Yes. And from the outside, it looks like, like exactly the same. From yes. the inside, there's some differences in terms of beliefs. And they're at each other's throats. Yes. Well, wh- well, why does that happen? It's because of what you said, that if people follow literally, this is what I am told must be the case. And you're taught that from a child. Yes. It's almost impossible to break out of it. Yes. I mean, yes. Occasionally, you get somebody who, just, as an adult, just completely drops a religion because they're fed up with it. Right. But most people don't do that. Right. Most people, if you come, if you're raised as a child to believe in a certain way, you're set. Yes. And churches know that, and that's why they they pound on kids with with Sunday schools and so on, yes. or or parochial schools, yes, to make sure that uh, they're going to have future wow. congregants,
0: yes. Almost like, and I think I, I in the email I sent you, it's almost like sheeple. I, I use the word sheeple. You know, it's like yep. just led to the slaughter. You know, it's got to open. I just, I encourage on this show. I tell people, don't go. All I do is share my experiences and share what resonates as true for me. But I'm not preaching or teaching or any of that. I want each person to go within really go within and find out what resonates as true for them. You know, not what society has been telling you and not what church has been telling you, not what your parents have been telling you, but what is really in your heart, what resonates as true for you.
1: Mm -hmm. By the way, the the same problem you see in magical circles, because uh, magic, if, if, if you have not studied magic, you would generally think of it in two ways. One is the way that it's portrayed in, in movies and in television. Yes. Not always, but oftentimes has a negative spin to it. Right. They immediately bring in vampires and zombies and things. I mean, it's all like horrific stuff. Yes. The, of course, there's a flip side. That A lot of magic has to do with healing, mm-hmm. like healing arts and, and yes. compassion and things of that sort. But you almost never see that in fiction, which is a right. pity. Right. The other thing, though, is that Uh, a lot of ceremonial magic. They were talking about the the symbols and the black robes and uh, rumors of sacrifice and all of that stuff. Most of that is abject nonsense. It's theater. Sometimes the theater is used as a ritual, exactly Mm -hmm. in the same way that you'd go to a Catholic mass. It's a ritual. Yes. People people like the ritual. Mm -hmm. Well, the same is true in magic. And uh, sometimes people forget that it's the ritual. It's like they forget that it's theater. Right. And, and forget that the under underneath it all is actually a way of understanding reality. True. True. So organizations of any type begin to coagulate after a while and collapse into dogma. Mm-hmm. It just, just happens. So I agree with you that the, the best way of understanding what's happening in all of these cases is to learn for yourself what's yes. happening. That includes doing research and reading and so on and meditating For some people, psychedelics will do the job as well. Uh, That's the way that, and you have to counter other people's opinions, which is not very comfortable sometimes. Yes. But at least I think we agree that that is, that's the only way you're going to come to a conclusion that is not somebody else's idea of what reality is.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Now, what are your thoughts on the mini world theory Uh, in, uh, I guess that's physics, right? The, yeah. The, the, yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it's, it was a proposal or an interpretation of quantum mechanics to try to resolve the probabilistic nature of quantum mechanics. Because one of the outstanding problems is that quantum mechanics provides a probabilistic view of reality. like It's all built out of potential and probabilities, yeah. and yet our experience of it is objects, particles, in, in, things that are not probabilistic right so how do, you, how do you get from one place to the other there are lots of interpretations it's like something like two dozen different interpretations of what it means so okay. the many worlds hypothesis is one interpretation that gets rid of the probabilistic nature of reality because it assumes that at every instant the world keeps splitting into into actual real worlds
2: yes
1: but at every moment there's, there's like another world so yeah. part of you will go that way and then another piece of you will go that way. And so you yeah. become split into infinity. Yes. Not just you, but everything gets split into an infinite number of worlds all the time. Yes. I don't like that idea because...
2: Okay.
1: Okay. because then like everything is suddenly possible. It's it's all... It's too big. And okay. maybe it's even true. But if it's true, it, it makes your head explode to try to exactly. understand what's happening.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: So... It's a kind of the cousin to the multi-worlds hypothesis is parallel worlds. Yes. In which case there's some number, and we don't know what number of worlds, which are uh, like a an echo or mimic or mirror of our universe, mm-hmm. but just in a slightly shifted dimension somehow, so we can't normally see it. Right. Well, that's kind of similar to the idea of multi-worlds, except it may not be infinite. It may be some large Finite number.
0: Okay, I I always thought of the the multi world and the parallel world kind of similar, but I guess they're slightly different. Okay.
1: Yeah, they're not they're not exactly the same because you could have you can imagine two parallel worlds, just two. There's yeah. This world, and then there's a Bizarro world or something okay. like that.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, so you don't you, they're not constantly splitting into new worlds. Yeah. They're just in slightly different phases or something, different dimensions, so that they're running in parallel.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, what are your thoughts on time? Because uh, I do love Einstein's quote, time is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. And I've heard scientists say that all there is, is the now. Everything that can happen and is happening, is happening right here and now. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Right. So th- again, there are many interpretations within physics about the nature of time it is absolutely not a settled question. Uh, you can look at it from a thermodynamic perspective where the second law of thermodynamics is providing an arrow, like a direction where things are, are seem to be moving. Uh, at the micro scale, we know that time doesn't exist in the same way it does in the macro scale. hmm all of the equations of classical and quantum mechanics are time symmetric, which means that you can't either time does not show up in the equation or you can't tell whether something is going forwards or backwards in time from the equation perspective. Okay. So that means that a very fundamental mathematical description of reality there is no time. Okay. Or there is time except that it can go direction. any direction. Uh, any yeah. direction. So okay. th- this again is where common sense gets in the way. So from a common sense perspective, we're all getting older whether we like it or not. Mm
2: -hmm. Clock
1: keeps only ticking in in a clockwise fashion. Uh, And that does not seem to be a universal. It seems to be a special case about the human perspective. Yes. Um, So we know from precognition, which is not even that difficult to show in the laboratory, that there seems to be uh, either... That we can perceive things from the future that ripple ripple backwards in time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, or maybe a portion of our awareness is actually not in time. Like one a way that is commonly said is as you were saying that it's like everything is now.
2: Yes,
1: the only thing that your consciousness is aware of is now, except that the width of now right. apparently can be changed. Yes. Right. But so. Well, yes. So normally it's like 500 milliseconds. It's a half a second of nowness. Yes. Meditators sometimes will say that their sense of now expands and they go into a timeless place where it seems like they can encompass everything. Yes. So we've done experiments with advanced meditators to see how far in advance their awareness can expand mm-hmm. beyond 500 milliseconds to second and a half, perhaps, having right. a much bigger moment of now. Okay. And, and from those experiments, we're able to show that, indeed, that when somebody gets into a state, which is like right on the cusp of a mystical uh, state, that their sense of now does expand, mm. expands into what we would see as the future and the past. From their perspective, there's not future and past, because there's only now, right. except that it's a bigger now.
0: Right, right. Very true, very true. Um I say a lot on this show because I do believe we can own, we experience in the now. I mean, we can remember the past and we can dream and make plans for the future, but we experience just now. So I, I, I speak about just being now being your point of power a lot, meaning that now in this now moment, you can make those positive changes or you can, you know, it's, To me, it's no sense to dwell on the past. Okay, the past is the past. Okay, but now, in in this now moment is your point of power. The future hasn't gotten here. Past is, so I talk about the now a lot being the most important moment Mm -hmm. in time.
1: You know, from a physics perspective, uh, it is possible to think of now as being the influence of both the past, as we are influenced by the past. Yes. Yes. But it is also influenced by the future yes so so now is our sense of our only sense of awareness and yet it is being influenced by both the past and the future mm-hmm uh, we, we don't know at this stage yet what that means exactly yes. we certainly understand memory is poking from the past right but the future poking at us as well is is little bit stranger to think about and yet from we know from an elementary physical perspective that that is the case that's actually happening okay and we know from things like precognition that is probably even happening at the human scale
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right we get a sense of something about to unfold which means the future is influencing us now too
0: exactly yes so yeah and i do i know it sounds kind of crazy but just from everything i've studied and Listen to spiritually and scientifically. I I do believe all things are possible, and they're all happening right now. Mm. That and, and like you, when you take that, if you decide to turn right, a portion of you turned left, and, and and there's you created two different streams, uh, mm. consciousness streams are are timeline streams, and so there is an infinite number of me, there's an infinite number of you all living, quote unquote, parallel lives. But And I just, I pick that up from what I hear scientifically, but also I listen to a lot of um, what I feel is reliable channeled information. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's coming, a lot of the information is coming from, from not, a non-physical being that just has more awareness than we do. And it, it it lines up though everything I listen to that resonates with me from either the science perspective or the spirituality perspective, uh, just lines up, you know. So, but call, call me crazy. <laughs> but uh, I, I thank you so much. Please tell our listeners how they can find you. I know you do a lot of speaking engagements. They have something coming up. When you say that they're private, um, meaning the general public can't come to attend some of your speaking engagements. Right.
1: Yeah. I, then I, I, could, I would put it on my list of events, but only after the fact because they're not open to the public.
0: I see. I didn't realize that until you just told me that. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, how- if I give a talk to the army or the Navy, for example, then we'll, those are private right. talks.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's a good thing that you're talking to the army and the navy. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they're open and listening. They are. Yes, good. they are. Great. Awesome. Great. Um, so let tell our listeners how can they find you? Um, uh, go to
1: deanradin.org
0: mm-hmm.
1: or go to realmagicbook.com. Okay. Or go to noetic Dot org. N-O-C. No, it's N-O-E-T-I-C dot org. Because I work at, at the Institute of Noetic Sciences.
0: Explain to our listeners what the Institute of Noetic Sciences is.
1: So noetic is a, uh, a word that means deep inner knowing. It's a form of intuition where you know something and you have complete confidence that what you know is correct.
2: Okay. So
1: kind of a uh, mild form of a mystical insight, let's say. Okay. So it's pretty common. When somebody says they got a download of something, that's a noetic experience. Okay. So our institute was started by uh, the Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, who was okay. the sixth man to go on the moon. Uh, he had a mystical experience, as did actually quite a few other astronauts. The, the act of seeing the Earth the size of a marble Yes. Uh, Sparks a mystical experience in people. Okay. So when he came back to the earth, uh, he was determined to figure out what was that mystical experience? How can we use the tools of science to figure it out? And that's what we've been doing now. We're almost 50 years that the Institute has been around. Awesome. Uh, And that's where I'm chief scientist at the the Institute.
0: Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you, Dean, so much for... Being my guest again, I love speaking science. Even though I am not a scientist, I always tell people I'm a very layman. I love science. I, I could not do a equation or a, a, you know any of that stuff that you guys do, but I do. For me, I try to explain what I get from the science on a very layman's term. Mm-hmm. And like I said, what I'm hearing it was science that woke me up.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: but what I'm hearing scientifically. I, I i've been studying all, for 30 years metaphysically but it mm-hmm. was the science that really awoke you know i was confused with the metaphysics but the science made everything clear to me is that makes right. sense it did. yeah
1: well the good the nice thing about science is that uh, because especially because of, of laboratory studies and experimental studies you can gain confidence that your idea about something is correct or not correct Yes. Whereas yes. when it comes to religion, certainly, even to a lot of metaphysical ideas, you kind of have to take it on faith that the thing that you're being told is correct.
0: Right.
1: Well, I was never very comfortable with that, which is probably why I became a scientist. I want to test for myself. Is this really real? Well, right. that's what science is very good at.
0: Yes. And, and I, for me, it's always been like, it didn't resonate. I was sent to Catholic school. I went to Catholic school for six years. The dogma of Catholicism never resonated with me. But as yeah. a child, growing up in the 60s, I was told I couldn't, I couldn't say that, of course. Yeah. So as I grew up, it was a longing to know the truth for me. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I, like I said, I, for many years I studied metaphysics, but it was the science that really brought it home for me. So and 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 you, as you said with the noetic sciences, it's a knowing for me. And I say to people, this is my knowing. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't impose my knowing on anyone. You know, I let people. I said this. I just share what is a knowing for me. Mm-hmm. And for me, it comes down to it the simple truth of oneness that we are all. And when met, you met, it's to me. And when mankind awakens to that simple truth, not only will it put uh, into war, it'll put it into po- poverty, it'll put it into crime. It, all of our problems will be solved with that one knowing. And actually, it was Lynn McTaggart, and what she said in What the Bleep, she said, the biggest problem in the world today is the illusion of separateness. Now, when she made that one simple statement, that's when I'm like, aha uh-huh. yes once we know that we are all one and we and we know that if we hurt another person we're literally hurting an aspect of ourselves then that will put that will bring peace to this world and and will it will be heaven on earth so, that, that, is, that's I feel so like,
1: that is the case yes
0: yes and i just feel like that's my calling and my mission While I, why i am here is to inspire and inspire means just inspiring another to look within and finding that truth with inside them and living their truth.
1: I'm glad you're doing that.
0: Uh, thank you. And I'm glad you're doing your scientific stuff. I love it. I'm hoping that we'll get to actually, cause I haven't gone to many, I'm going to different events, but I haven't gone to many scientific events yet, but I do know there are scientific events for oneness the science of oneness and mm-hmm. I know you're at many of those events. So I'm hoping one day I actually get to meet you in person.
1: Sure.
0: Yes, that would be that would be fun. Well thank you so much for being my guest again and enjoy this week and like I said, we I'm in the Poconos and we have six inches of snow. I hope you guys didn't hear my neighbor was just um, plowing my driveway with his uh with his plow with his snow blower and I was hoping oh I hope you guys don't hear that. But no, yeah I couldn't hear it. Okay. It's spring in the Poconos with six inches of snow on the ground. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. You have a lovely weekend and we'll be in touch. We'll we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.